And our reading tonight is from Psalm 38, uh, a Psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about in mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbours stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I'm like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who who cannot open his mouth. I've become like a man who doesn't hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips, For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I'm troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay me good with evil slander me when I seek what is good. Oh, Lord. Do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord my Saviour. Amen. (coughs) Well, what is wrong with our friend in Psalm 38? If he came to you and you were his GP, where would you begin with such a catalogue of woes? Is our patient perhaps just some kind of depressive hypochondriac? After all, he wouldn't be the first or the only one. In his commentary, Peter Craigie observes that the patient seems to be suffering from every disease in the book. Unhealthy flesh looks like it refers to some kind of skin condition. The reference to bones suggests some kind of internal aches and pains. He points out that the specific complaints are staggering in their proportions. Open wounds, burning loins, possibly ulcers, numbness, 
congestion, a growling heart, whatever that means, palpitations, and to crown it all, trouble with the eyes. Others have remarked that no one in the terrible condition he describes would be fit to recite this psalm as a prayer, let alone compose it. In fact, you read the commentators and you detect a distinct lack of sympathy for this poor man's plight. And the psalmist suspects that all this has happened because God's angry with him. The psalm opens with a plea that God would give him a break refrain from rebuking him in his anger and judging him in his wrath. He feels it's because God is angry with him that there's no health in his body, no soundness in his bones. To him, the pain feels as if God is shooting arrows into him. Every stab of pain is an arrow fired from God's bow. And God's hand has come down upon him, not to bless him, but to afflict him with all these problems. And the sense of guilt is a burden too heavy for him to carry. Can't necessarily deduce from this that this disease, whatever it is, is the way God chooses to punish him because of his bad behaviour. But that's how he feels. We were talking the other day in Rachel's house group about why so many people, when things go wrong, wrong, wonder, what have I done to deserve all this? Why is God punishing me this way? Is God angry with me? Is that why I'm suffering so much? It's clearly how the psalmist feels, but it doesn't follow from this that any or in, that this or any sickness should be seen as God's punishment for sin. Think about Job. In the black and white world of Job's comforters, Job must have done something to deserve everything that happened to him. They sit with him in silence for seven days and then they try and make sense of what's gone wrong and their conclusion is, Job, there must be some secret hidden sin in your life. All that good stuff that you did, behind it all, behind the facade, there must be a reason why God is angry with you. There must be some reason why God is treating you this way. And all they do actually is make him feel far worse because in addition to his illness and the catastrophe that has befallen him, they just make him feel guilty by blaming him for his condition. So why do we think this way? It's perhaps because instinctively we want the world to make sense. We want it to be the case that bad things happen to bad people. They're just getting what they deserve. And good people, well, well they get good stuff happening to them because that's, that's how we like to make sense of a moral universe. It appeals to a deep-seated sense of fairness and justice within us. But it's not how the world is. It's not how the world works, not how it works out in practice. In Job's case, no satisfactory reason is given for the way in which his life falls apart so catastrophically other than the mysterious sovereignty of God. That's what he's left with at the end of the book. But one thing is very clear as the story unfolds. Job is and always has been God's righteous servant and he doesn't deserve what's befallen him. It's not because he's paying for some hidden sin. So the solution to every sickness is not to say, well, there must be something of which you need to repent, brother, so that God can bless you as he wants to, because sin is not the cause of every disease. 
In the case of our psalmist, it's clear that his sense of physical illness is compounded by his sense of separation from God. I feel wretched, I feel God's angry with me, I feel God is far away. There is, there is nothing that's good or right about his condition. He petitions God five times in the psalm. Four of them are negative requests. Don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Don't forsake me. Don't keep your distance from me. It sums up so much about how he feels about God. God is angry with him, wrathful against him. God has forsaken him. God's keeping his distance. It's only when we get to the last verse of the psalm that we find something positive. Come quickly to help me, O God my Saviour. And he doesn't just feel God forsaken, he feels as if everyone has deserted him. Everyone's turned against him. His friends and companions avoid him. His neighbours shun his company, perhaps because they're afraid of picking up his infection or maybe his open festering wounds are so disgusting, so putrid, they really can't bear to visit him. It's just such an appalling experience. The only ones who take any notice of him are the ones who are out to get him. His enemies who want to make his life even more miserable. They talk about his downfall. They tell lies about him. They destroy his reputation. They plot against him to obliterate him completely. The psalmist feels as if everyone is against him. Everyone hates him. He's utterly isolated. Doesn't want to hear what anybody else is saying about him. It's all bad news. He's got no one to talk to. Socially, he's isolated. Deaf, dumb and blind, as well as in acute pain. So it's no surprise that on top of all this, he's actually a bit depressed. In his weakness and frailty, he feels utterly crushed. Sighs and groans in anguish of heart. The light has gone from his eyes. He feels as if there's nothing left to live for. He's in a very bad way. So you're in the prayer corner and he comes across and pours all this out to you. What do you do with him? What do you say to him? What's he need? What would you give him? If you're a doctor, you could give him antibiotics if you knew what antibiotics to give him to sort out all his problems. Pain relief, that would help. Prayer, what we do here. Counselling, sounds like he could do with it. Support, certainly. Friendship, absolutely. Someone to to get him out of the the nasty social circle of people who are trying to pull him apart and get him into a group of people who will affirm him and look after him. Yes. And he needs all of those things. Prayer is part of that. And we believe in in a great God and we believe that God answers prayer, but actually, for him, prayer might just open a door that would enable him to find healing. God might snap his fingers and heal him overnight, but usually prayer is part of a composite healing package. And an important part, given the spiritual nature of our human makeup. 
given his sense of isolation from God, praying for him, assuring him of God's love, of God's presence, of God's forgiveness, of God's grace, of God's healing power, of God's involvement in his life, that releases the Spirit of God to work in him. But there are other aspects of what's going on, actually, that other remedies might need to be brought in to play their part. So perhaps a medical condition requires a medical solution. It's not just that he needs prayer with God, he needs friends who will come alongside him. Antibiotics might address the infection, but they wouldn't sort out the depression or the social isolation or the trauma that this man has been through. We are, it's said, made up of of body, mind and spirit. We are complicated beings. And if we're healthy, then we are functioning well at every level. Physically fit and healthy. Spiritually okay with God. In our minds, okay with who we are. Socially okay with other people. Health is necessarily holistic, a caring for the well-being of the whole person. And just giving the man a packet of pills isn't going to sort all his problems out. He needs much more than that. And prayer is part of bringing someone in this situation towards wholeness. So if someone is on medication for their condition, does that mean they haven't got the faith that God will heal them? Absolutely not. If someone is on medication, does that mean you don't need to pray for them because the medication is going to sort out their problems? Absolutely not. We are hugely privileged to be living in a time and a place where vast numbers of diseases can be treated effectively and there's no reason why we as Christians should not take full advantage of the benefits available to us through advances in medical research. But if someone isn't well and they're taking medication, I will pray that the medication is effective. And for all the other aspects of their well-being as well. Prayer and medication are perfectly compatible. God and the health service are not in competition with each other. For our poor psalmist, there's not a doctor's surgery within a hundred miles and several hundred years. There's no one who can give him a clear diagnosis of what's wrong with him or treatment for his condition. All he can do is pray, come quickly to help me, O God my Saviour. And something that's, sometimes that's all we can do because the condition just seems to be so impossible to deal with. We start with prayer. And sometimes that's the first step in beginning to put in place the processes and the support and the healing and the relief that make a difference to this person. I can't help wondering what's wrong with him, though, looking through the list of ailments and puzzling over them. Verse 7 intrigues me. My back is filled with searing pain. It's one of those... Verses where the translations can't quite seem to agree. New English translation says, I'm overcome with shame. Good news, Bible, I'm burning with fever. New Revised Standard Version goes for, my loins are filled with burning. Completely incompatible translations. But NRSV perhaps is, is, is close to kind of literal translation there. My loins are filled with burning. 
And humanly speaking, you know, the, the word loins tends to refer to the, the genital area and a burning sensation in that part of the body could be some kind of sexually transmitted disease. And then you think, well, you know, festering and loathsome wounds could be blisters that have developed into open sores, sense of being physically low, a pounding heart, a lack of strength, flu-like symptoms, aching bones, could be aching muscles. A 20th first century doctor might say, he's got herpes. Who knows? That's not a condition for which there's any cure, actually. It's not associated with blindness, but the reference to the light going from his eyes has been taken by some as a possible reference to a loss of sexual potency, which also would make sense. The connection is drawn with the help of Deuteronomy 34.7, where it's said of Moses that he died at the age of 120, and his eye was undimmed, and his vigour or sap of life was unabated. Unlike our psalmist, Moses was firing on all cylinders. And who knows? Just a fanciful diagnosis. But if it is close to the mark, it's one more example of the way in which the Old Testament is pretty blunt in referring to some aspects of the human condition that we really don't talk much about in polite society or in church. But if it's known that that's what's wrong with him, you can understand why so many people are ready to point the finger and condemn him. Who knows? But what we see here again is, is how clearly something wrong at one level of our lives affects every other part of our life as well. Just drags us down in every area. And healing is about restoring wholeness to who we are at every level. And if we don't know where to begin, then prayer is a good place to start. And we say to this man, well, let's pray for you. And today, in our society, we're fortunate to be able to say, go and, go and see a doctor. And why not keep coming to church? Because there are people here who will love you and will be there for you and will support you and will talk through the issues that you face. And slowly, we will work with you on a path back to healing and wholeness again. It's got to be said, this is one of the most depressing psalms in the book. 150, Psalm 38 is kind of, I think 88 might be marginally worse, but 38 I think is, you know, one of the worst in the, in the book. Because nothing is sorted by the end. It goes on and on and on in this catalogue of woes. You get to the end and nothing's changed. He's still exactly where he was at the beginning. Now Psalm 6... That's a different story. Starts on exactly the same note. O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. But by the time you get to the end of Psalm 6, he's a happy man. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Psalm 6 has got the answer. Psalm 38 is still in the thick of it. Just ends with an anguished cry for help. Don't forsake me. Don't keep your distance from me. Come quickly to help me, O God, my Saviour. Yet in, in that last and final petition, in that last and final verse, I do detect an uplift of mood. He's no longer asking God to stop tormenting him. He's no longer asking that God would not abandon him. It's a simple reaching out to God, asking that God would come quickly to help him. Why? 
because God is his saviour. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my saviour. And when all else fails, when everyone else has turned your back on you, when everything seems lost, when there's nowhere else to turn, the Lord is your saviour. And when your life is a complete and utter mess, as it was with the author of Psalm 38, the Lord is your saviour. And we can cry out to him, come quickly to help me. And if you know that the Lord is your saviour, then you can turn your life over to him. You can place yourself in his hands. You can abandon yourself to his love. You can reach out to him and trust him. Jesus is your saviour. Why do I know that's true? Because he gave his life for you. Because he died on the cross for you. To redeem you. To claim you as God's beloved child. To take upon himself on the cross your sin, your sickness, your disease, your guilt, your death, your pain, your weakness, every aspect of the human condition. Bore it on the cross. Giving his life for us. Giving his life to us. Because Jesus died, I know that he's your saviour, I know that he loves you, and I know that you can trust him. And one thing is for sure, if you reach out to him, he said, I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. And if you place your hand in his, he will never let you go. Whatever it is that you're going through, he'll be with you and for you at every stage. Because the Lord is your saviour and he's faithful. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that no one is ever beyond saving, beyond hope, beyond help. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life to be our saviour. Thank you for going to the, the lonely place, the place of torment, the place of suffering, the place of guilt, the place of God-forsakenness, to become our Redeemer, our Saviour, our Rescuer. Thank you for the value you place upon our lives, even when we don't value ourselves. Pour out your love into our hearts. Pour out your love into the hearts of those we think of when we think they just can't, nothing seems to be right for them. Lord, protect and save and redeem them, we pray. For we ask it in your name, Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us.
Amen.